haven't said that in a long time. Uh, it's time for episode 19. Today we're going to be talking about being good stewards, and I apologize for the absence. I've been gone a minute. Uh, life kicked me in the teeth. Uh, I know I posted something on social media about my dog being sick, so my dog passed, uh, and that was that was tough for me. I was a very close member of my uh, little tiny circle, and then. Uh, it's just been insane at work. I swear to God, I probably worked 100 hours this week, where it's just like with the ending of the Chiefs season, and then as soon as that was over, E6 evals, end of year awards, end of the fourth quarter awards, just this bow wake of ridiculous amounts of admin and stuff going on at work, and we're really shorthanded. And I don't know, it was like a perfect storm of circumstances where I've barely slept, let alone had time to do anything else. Uh, besides work and get a little sleep and then work some more. So I did not have time to sit down at my computer and do anything. I hadn't even posted anything on social media until today, just letting everybody know something was coming. Uh, so I apologize for that. But I should be back in a somewhat normal schedule. Uh, basically, the official end of the cheese season just happened. I just got home from khaki ball like 20 minutes ago, uh, and I'm going to put this all out uh, tonight before I go to sleep. So we're going to get episode 19 out finally. I've had this outline done for weeks and just haven't had time to sit down and do it. Uh, so we're going to knock this out, and, and then I'll still I'll get some spin the yarns out on my way home from work as stuff comes up. Uh, I know this time of year, everybody's stressing out about their eval. Uh, ours get done a little earlier because our my headquarters is somewhere else, so i got to get them done and then send them up there, and then they do a board with all the learning sites at the learning center. So anyway, I know you guys are probably just ramping up to do that process, so I'll, I'll talk about that, I'm sure, on a spin the yarn. I'll talk about awards. I'll talk about a bunch of stuff that's going on. But first, let me uh, get into this history segment. Uh, so today I'm going to talk about Vice Admiral James B. Stockdale. You may have heard about Stockdale. He's a Medal of Honor winner, and he was a POW during Vietnam, and he's a very famous face. Um, lots of buildings named after him, stuff like that. So I'm going to go into his biography that was from his, an official website for Admiral Stockdale. Uh, so Admiral Stockdale was born on December 23, 1923 in Abingdon, Illinois. After graduating from the Naval Academy in 1946, he attended flight training in Pensacola, Florida, and in 1954 was accepted to the Navy Test Pilot School, where he quickly became a standout and served as an instructor for a brief time. Stockdale's flying career took him west, and in 1962, he earned a master's degree in international relations from Stanford University. He was the first to amass more than 1,000 hours in the F-8U Crusader, then the Navy's hottest fighter, and by the early 1960s, Stockdale was at the very pinnacle of his profession when he commanded a Navy fighter squadron. In August 1964, Stockdale played a key role in the Gulf of Tonkin incident, which the Johnson administration used to justify large-scale military action in Vietnam. Stockdale always maintained that he had not seen enemy vessels during the event, but the next morning, August 6, 1964, he was ordered to lead the first raid of the war of, on North Vietnamese oil refineries. On September 9, 1965, at the age of 40, Stockdale, who was the commanding officer for VF-51, and Carrier Air Group Commander, uh, CAG-16, was catapulted from the deck of the USS Oriskany for what would be his final mission. While returning from the target area, his A-4 Skyhawk was hit by anti-aircraft fire. Stockdale ejected, breaking a bone in his back. Upon landing in a small village, he badly dislocated his knee, which subsequently went untreated and eventually left him with a fused knee joint and a very distinctive gait. 
1984, Admiral Stockdale and his wife Sybil co-authored In Love and War, detailing his experiences in Vietnam as well as her experiences founding the League of American Families of POWs and MIAs at the same time she raised their four sons. After serving as the president of the Naval War College, Stockdale retired from the Navy in 1978 and embarked on a distinguished academic career. He served 15 years as a senior research fellow at the Hoover Institute of War, Revolution, and Peace, where he wrote numerous articles, published both A Vietnam Experience, 10 Years of Reflection and Thoughts of a Philosophical Fighter Pilot, was awarded 11 honorary doctoral degrees, and lectured extensively on the stoicism of Epictetus, Epite- I'm sure Epictetus, I'm sure I'm screwing that up, and on those character traits which serve one best when faced with adversity. In 1992, he graciously agreed to the request from his old friend H. Ross Perot to stand in as the vice presidential candidate of the Reform Party. Stockdale disliked the glare of publicity in partisan politics, but throughout the campaign, he comported himself with the same integrity, integrity and dignity that marked his entire career. Upon his retirement in 1979, the Secretary of the Navy established the Vice Admiral Stockdale Award for Inspirational Leadership, presented annually in the, both the Pacific and Atlantic Fleet. That's a leadership award for commanding officers. And Admiral Stockdale was a member of the Navy's Carrier Hall of Fame and the National Aviation Hall of Fame. And he was an honorary fellow in the Society of Experimental Test Pilots. Uh, And he was also awarded the Medal of Honor for his time as a POW, which, from what I understand, there's a documentary on uh, about his time there where he was uh, the leader of the the POW camp at the Hanoi Hilton. And uh, his story is absolutely incredible. So I wanted to talk about Admiral Stockdale because of mainly for what he did while he was there, while he was in the Hanoi Hilton. Uh, and I encourage you to go into, do a little research on your own or, or check out that documentary uh, or, or just do a little research on what actually happened while he was there. He did a lot of amazing things where he led that group of people through that really harrowing time. And they were there for years. Um, I don't remember the exact number. But uh, they were there for a very long period of time, and some of the things he did were absolutely incredible uh, while he was there. And then to come out the other end and then continue to do the amazing things he did with his life uh, are really great. And I and I thought it kind of it kind of lined up with what I want to talk about today with being a good steward uh, of training leaders and being a good steward of even just the charges that you that you're responsible for leading. Um, and so talking about this today and uh, being a good steward is a concept that kind of struck me during the season this year where I was talking to some chief selects and had this kind of epiphany uh, on our responsibility in training leaders and what it should look like. So what I want is for junior sailors to understand their responsibility to be good stewards uh, in the leadership training and professional development that will create a more prepared fighting force, right? It'll just create a more prepared Navy if we're good stewards of this responsibility that we have. And I'm going to mainly talk about this through the prism of a chief cha- training a junior officer because I think it's the context that's the most interesting. But it can be applied to everything uh, on a micro level. So, so at the level you guys are at as junior level leaders, this will apply, but it will continue to apply and it will grow in scope of impact as your career progresses. And I think you'll see that as this as this goes on. So this kind of fell out of my mouth the other day, and I wondered what it meant after I said it. It was one of those things where I, I said it and I liked how it sounded, but I kind of had to I kind of had to dwell on it for a while. Uh, I was answering a question from a chief select 
uh, about the importance of training junior officers, and I described the removal of pride and ego from the process as being good stewards of a chief's responsibility to train the junior officers. And for whatever reason, it, it just kind of came upside my head as another moment where I explained a concept I had already known and been practicing in a way, but I'd never really quantified it and, and kind of just put it into words in that way. But I think it's important uh, enough to try to do that. Um, so that's what I'm going to do this topic about. I think this is a really... Uh, a really important topic that I really want to get into. Um, first, I want to say if you guys ever need anything, um, I'm actually kind of surprised I didn't get any where the hell are you emails. But um, if if you got any questions for us, any topics you want to you want to see it, uh, me do on the podcast or address in any way, uh, or you just have any questions or feedback, hit us up at uh, don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. You can also Facebook message us. That seems to be the popular uh, avenue. And then you can direct message us on Instagram as well. At D guts podcast is us on Instagram. All right. So uh, let's get into this. So I, before I kind of going to do this a little backwards, I, I'm going to talk about the barriers to being a good steward before I actually get into what it is. And I think it's important to do that to understand kind of where I'm going with this first. And I, th I think it'll all line up when I get there. So uh, the first barrier I want to talk about is pride. So to discuss this, this one comes first because it's the biggest barrier in the training of leaders, especially the relationship between a chief and a junior officer. Like the biggest barrier is pride. And it's because the relationship, as I said earlier, is very unique uh, between a senior NCO and a junior officer. And it's very complex as well. And the obvious complexities are that the junior officer is just that, right? They're junior and inexperienced and usually immature while carrying the burden of responsibility and sometimes even command, which is something I've learned with the experiences I've had with the Army lately. Working here where the these junior officers, these very inexperienced officers are thrust into positions of commanding a unit of some on some level at a, at a very junior level. And so a senior NCO... On the, on the flip side of that, is a product of their experience. They're a mature and developed leader, and they're senior. They're senior in their in their military career, um, but specifically there to advise the officer, and, and is technically subordinate to that officer, even though they're uh, have senior in age, senior in experience, um, senior in rank in in the enlisted force, uh, but technically subordinate to that junior officer. So you can imagine how pride would become a tripwire here, right? Like. You know, I've been around a long time. I have a lot of experience. I, I've been doing this a long time, and I've got this, you know, snot-nosed kid looking at me trying to tell me what to do. That you know, that kind of attitude, that kind of viewpoint, is how you can see pride becoming a barrier. Uh, okay, so the next one is ego, and, and it's similar to pride in ways, but instead of coming from a place of experience and accomplishment like pride does, ego as an obstacle will come from a place of vanity. And this, so that's that's where they differ. And, and this one is both the easiest and hardest to control. It's extremely easy to remove it as an obstacle if you just do it um, by being humble and not having not having ego become that kind of an issue. But it's extremely difficult to get the person with the ego that's it's it's being an obstacle to admit their ego is the issue. To even admit that you know the the vanity. And the e that's driving that ego is the actual barrier. To get them to admit that is extremely difficult, and to get them to pull that out of the equation uh, can be even more difficult. And then miscommunication. I mean, we all know how important communication is, but no, no matter how great your relationship is with the officer or the leader that you're trying to train, miscommunication is always going to happen. It will, no matter how great the relationship is. Uh, so the important piece is recognizing it when it happens 
acknowledging that it exists and that it did happen and then actively working on it, okay? Uh, many times this means small, swallowing your pride and being the first person to admit that there was a communication issue. And then sometimes it may uh, even mean owning the miscommunication when it wasn't yours, which I know sounds crazy, but sometimes that's what you're gonna have to do simply to reopen the lines of communication and to get talking again. Uh, and then sometimes you'll need to tactfully confront them on their lack of it, on their lack of active communication. Uh, regardless of the avenue and reasons, you should always be working on this. No matter how great it is or how bad it is, you should always be working on improving communication. Uh, but miscommunication uh, itself will always be a barrier of some kind. So now, I mean, I, I kind of got those out of the way. Those, those are the, the obstacles to being a good steward and, and kind of... I'm trying to think of the best word for it to being a good steward of the process, like, like respecting and honoring the, the responsibility and taking it seriously that you have to train these leaders. So now I want to talk about what it actually is. So like, what is being a good steward of leadership training? So having a good rapport, like I, I say this a lot and it was kind of just this little nugget that I would give, give out. Um, but now it, it kind of falls in line with this and into a bigger, picture concepts, but having a rapport with the people, you, I mean, just the people you're leading or the leaders that you're training, this is a product of working on communication and building trust by having good communication. So a constructive rapport is critical to be able to train a new leader, officer or otherwise. The more they trust you, the more they will be willing to receive your advice and guidance. And then the more you trust them, the more they trust you. It's a two-way street, right? One of the best ways to inspire confidence and build trust is to give trust, especially with junior leaders. When they see you trust them, they'll be inspired to trust you, and that's rapport. When they trust you and they see that you trust them, they're going to trust you even more, and so you can have those incredibly constructive lines of communication because you have that good rapport. Uh, but trust is the key. You will not have that just by communicating for the sake of communicating. You have to build that trust. The next thing I want to talk about is setting your leader up. And I don't mean like setting them up to knife them in the back. I'm talking about setting them up for success, okay? So uh, part of your role in both training and advising the officer that you're serving is setting them up to succeed. So there are roles they are expected to be out in front for and have no idea what to do when they get there. They're very junior officers, okay? They're, they're expected to be a leader and they've been around for five minutes. So this is where you come in, where you set them up. The confidence your juniors and seniors have in that leader that you're charged with training depends on how well you set them up, right? Prepare them. Put them in a position to stand in front of your division at quarters and act the part and sound the part. And pretty soon they're going to be the part. They'll be confident, strong, intelligent leaders due to your setting them up to succeed in those positions. And then support them. Support them in that daily grind, okay? Uh, come by the stateroom and check in. Ask them how they're doing. Ask them if they need anything. Uh, let them know where you are and when you're going home. Make suggestions on everything and anything that you think will be helpful. Give unsolicited advice and training. Sit down and walk them through things as if you're briefing them when you're really training them, right? They need your support. They know they need your support. 
even if they're unwilling to admit it, they appreciate your support and they know that they can't succeed without it. So give that support. Be there for them, even if they don't think they need you, even if they're stubborn about it, even if they scoff at it. Be there anyway. Always be there so that they have that security blanket and that they know that Chief's right behind them or that the leader is right behind them all the time and that if they have to, even if they're prideful or even if they have ego, they can fall back on it and you're going to be there to catch them. Okay? So then the inevitable point, which is is where this whole topic came from, is what happens when this all goes terribly wrong. So first, we'll talk about why is it happening? Why is it going terribly wrong, right? What do you do when it does? So what happens when the JO thinks they know it all? What happens when they marginalize you because they had a bad experience with a chief or with a leader? What happens when you have to confront them on these issues? All right, first you need to take the time to figure out why. Why is this happening? Why are they behaving this way? And there can be many reasons for it, right? Some of which we covered in the background at the beginning, right? With the ego or the pride or whatever. But when they've been burned by a chief or a leader along the way, this relationship uh, building process can be really tricky and just be this long trudge through the mud. But you have to figure out why first. Take the time to probe them, to ask questions, and to figure out why. And when you ask those questions, it's gonna be you dealing with it. So how do you deal with it? You confront it, whatever it is, okay? The issue you're having with your officer or with that leader is not going to spontaneously cure itself. And if it's an issue for you, it's an issue for your division, for the for the group of people that you're leading, and they notice. So confront the issue, not the person. And that's an important distinction. Don't make this thing personal, just confront whatever the issue is. Uh, and this is another incident, instance in life where setting pride aside and taking time to work on the actual issue is the best path. This person has an obstacle to effectively leading, and at the end of the day, the effective leading of your sailors is all that matters. It, it That's it. So find a way. Find a way to help them overcome that obstacle, whether it's their own pride or ego or overcoming a a past negative experience with a bad leader or some other trust issue, put in the work to build the relationship. Okay, If you don't, no one will, and then this issue, whatever it is that you're unwilling to confront or that you're trying to avoid, it's going to fester and it'll develop into a toxic work environment and your sailors will suffer as a result. Okay, uh, This is your responsibility. You are building a leader now with this officer that is going to be a commanding officer, right? You know, like junior officers are the future commanding officers. Think, of, think about that. Think about that responsibility. That's why being a good steward of leadership training, especially as a chief, and I, I framed it this way because of the impact that you, the junior level leader, the junior enlisted leader, will eventually one day have if you continue on this path, you're going to be training those junior officers. Every great commanding officer I've ever had has told a story about the chief that that put them there, that chief that built them into a leader, the chief that got them going on the right path. And and I had a command officer who used to say he would cut off his academy ring finger for a good chief. And, and so that's how big of a deal this is. That's how the depth of this responsibility and being a good steward of that is so important. And that's why I devoted an entire episode to this. I just think it's one of those topics that uh, you can't, I mean, I can't say enough about. So uh, it's conclusion time. So we talked about what obstacles exist in, in being good stewards of leadership training, how you can be a good steward of this process, and what we as senior leaders need to do when the wheels come off the wagon. Uh, and we can go even more in depth into that, and I'll hit it again a little bit in the closing on, on how to fix it, because I know that's what comes up the most. 
And I really, really want people to go away from this, for junior sailors and junior level leaders to go away from this understanding their responsibility to be good stewards of the leaders they train, that you're charged with training, because it'll create a better Navy. You will you will leave this thing better than when you found it. It'll never be perfect, but you'll have left your mark. And the reason I got excited for this topic was that I have literally had conversations myself from the perspective of a prideful leader that didn't quite understand how important the stewardship of leader responsibility is. And I would talk about junior officers uh, like you might talk about a seaman. And in ways, they're similar because they're both junior sailors, but in more ways, they're not similar. In more ways, they're they're very different. So developing a junior officer is a profound responsibility because they're going to be future commanding officers. And they're in a leadership position from day one, which, which junior enlisted sailors are not. Uh, they're expected to lead and they have responsibility and they're accountable for things as junior officers from day one. And then you are developing them into those future COs. And they're going to be responsible for a command culture. And they're going to dictate dictate the triad's relationship with, you guessed it, the chief's mess. So by fumbling or lowballing this, you're planting a seed for a toxic command climate like 16 to 20 years down, down the road. And these officers need to hear from you. They want to be led just like your junior enlisted do. They also want to be strong leaders. And you're the gateway for them getting there. So good stewardship of the relationship between a chief and a junior officer or any supervisor subordinate relationship will foster good communication, it will establish trust, and it will put future commanding officers in a great position so that those commands don't, and that, that chiefness don't have to battle that toxic command climate it way down the road. So take this responsibility extremely seriously. Ask questions of senior leadership. Ask senior officers what they wanted when they were a JO, okay? It can be nothing but productive to have those types of conversations. I've been in this position, I'm, I'm in this position even now where uh, I struggle with, I, I'm, I'm working with a prior enlisted officer, I'm gonna leave it vague on purpose, that was a chief at one point. And so looking at me as a senior chief thinks that they know it all. They think I don't have anything to teach them because they've already been where I am and they already went down that road and learned all those lessons. So he doesn't think I have anything to teach him or he doesn't think I can help him or I can advise him effectively or, or whatever. I mean, there, there are moments where it works, but more often than not, he kind of does his own thing and tells me, no, we're doing something else or whatever and doesn't let me make a lot of decisions, tries to marginalize me, stuff like that. And confronting it doesn't work in this situation because he's a prior enlisted guy and, and doesn't you know, think that I've got anything to offer him. But uh, what happened recently was it, it got put in writing essentially from like a, a climate survey what was going wrong. Got put in front of his face. And uh, that seems to have worked. It seems to have seeing that, seeing the feedback seems to have kind of shocked him into a little bit of a reality check. And that's confrontation, just like me walking in there and talking to him is confrontation, except when I did it, it didn't work. But it seems like this did work. So that confrontation can come in a lot of different forms. Uh, obviously, I would have loved for it not to get to that point. I did everything I could to try to put him in a position where that would never happen. But I can't make somebody listen, right? Lead a horse to water, so on and so forth. Whenever that confrontation happens, make it constructive, but make sure that it happens also. You can't sit there and not do it. You can't sit there and not have those conversations. Even when it, you get to a point where you think you might be spinning your wheels, you think they're not listening, uh, which is what I was dealing with. I always said it anyway. Don't think it, a lot of it got heard, but I said it anyway. 
hoping that it, you know it, something would click and a, and a spark would would start a fire. But but also just so that I can say I said it because it's my responsibility to do that and to and to confront whatever the issues are. Uh, but sometimes it takes a confrontation from a different place. Sometimes it, the confrontation from you is enough. But whatever that confrontation is, make sure you do that so that you can put that leader on the right path. It's not. This is not always going to be as easy as I may have just made it sound. Uh, it probably sounded straightforward and, and like this process is going to be this cookie cutter easy thing to do. And it's not. It's not ever easy. I mean, this is a very uncomfortable topic. Uh, it's a very uncomfortable conversation when you when you have to confront somebody when you're training a leader and they're not doing it right. I mean, anytime anybody's not doing something right, conflict in and of itself, confrontation is uncomfortable and it's unnatural. And most people don't like it very much. Uh, I know I don't, um, but it's a necessary tool in, in leadership. It's a necessary thing to be a catalyst for change. It's necessary to, to push that organization forward. Um, so make sure that you do that whenever that situation arises. That's the whole show for today. Again, if you ever need anything from us, hit us up at don't give up the shit podcast at gmail.com or Facebook messages or direct messages on Instagram. Uh, I'm really glad we got this done today. I really was bummed that I hadn't got any content out at all for a couple of weeks now, at least. I don't even know how long it's been, to be honest with you. Um, but I'm glad I got a full episode knocked out. I'm going to edit this thing up and post it right now. Uh, and then I'll make sure that I get some, uh, some spin the yarns out uh, on a regular basis coming up. And uh, look forward to more content. And if you want to hear anything, uh, shoot us an email. And uh, keep doing all the amazing things I know you guys are doing out there. And don't give up the shit. <laughs>